It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flint composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. We've got an interesting show in store today, uh, and and timely in uh, <laughs> in surprising ways after the uh, recent raid on Mar-a-Lago by the FBI. Um, coming up in the... Uh, third half of our three-hour tour, we're going to talk, uh, we're going to have an encore with an investigative journalist, uh, Martha Brockenbro, who uh, had written a uh, book for young readers um, during the time that Donald Trump was president that is, in fact, a, a kind of a critical biography of the former president and I have scheduled in the that's that's coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour in the middle in the second hour of our show I'm gonna talk with um, uh, Kevin uh, O'Brien who is a partner at Ford O'Brien Landy uh, LLP in New York and he is also a uh, former assistant US attorney to the Department of Justice where he served during the Trump administration. He's going to talk about um, what kind of charges the president might face uh, in the wake of the January 6th investigations and uh, and, and and made even more timely because of this recent raid on the uh, Mar-a-Lago uh, uh, property um, that the former president often referred to as the Southern White House. But we're going to start out first thing talking to um, my, my first guest on the show today coming up in just a moment is... Uh, a nuclear engineer with a creative streak, and we're going to talk about um, the the fact that she is a nuclear engineer and that she is also an award-nominated singer-songwriter, and um, we're going to talk about her debut novel, The Silent Count, with E.A. Smeraldo, and I think I'm saying that right, but but perhaps EA will correct me. She joins me by phone. Good morning, EA, and welcome to the show. Hi, you're saying it perfectly. Thank you oh, so good. much. Good, 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 because I'm terrible with names. so <laughs> It must be one of those that's just like it's spelled. Um, yeah. But EA, let me, let me ask about uh, the... the the book, this debut novel, of course, is not the first thing you've written. You have uh, 
uh, optioned uh, a treatment for uh, a screenplay, Blood Like Water, with X-ray media. So you've done uh, quite a bit of writing. Um, but this is about a young nuclear engineer who comes up with a daring plan to combat climate change with unintended consequences. Isn't that kind of the very definition of uh, nuclear energy? Oh, um, I am somebody who is very, very sympathetic to the nuclear engineering cause, and especially when we talk about the climate, uh, I think that, sure, we, we want to do right for the environment. If you don't want to send out a lot of greenhouse gas emissions, let's look at nuclear because it doesn't do that. Um, but yes, the, the novel, so the novel is a little bit of a satire in that, yes, we, we look a little bit about uh, at nuclear power, but um, if you would like to know the origin story of the novel, because it is a thriller, <laughs> um, it, it's, and it is fiction, I, I can uh, give you a little insight into what uh, drove me to write it. Well, so yeah, like I would like story? I would like for you to do that, and and also along the way, if you could give us a, a little better synopsis than than I gave. Sure. Oh, sure. Um, okay. So in the story, the the young nuclear engineer comes up with this idea to uh, solve climate change. So when I was a, an undergraduate in my nuclear engineering program at University of Maryland, we had a, you know a textbook which was the introductory textbook. And on the very first page of that book, which is still in use, although they have updated it and taken out this reference, it said, nuclear weapons can have peaceful uses, including <laughs> to do things like build harbors, uh, create artificial lakes. But one of them was it could be used to eliminate certain mountain ranges to create more favorable weather patterns. And at the time, I thought, wow, oh, someone boy. needs to write a, a crazy science fiction novel about this. Nobody did. So eventually, I thought, you know, I like to write. Maybe I'll do it. <laughs> that, that's, that's the origin story of my novel. Now, no one is, is expecting anyone to do this in real life, and neither did the, you know, uh, John LaMarche, who wrote the textbook. But, um, you know, it's one of those things that's... Uh, I like to think that art can inspire us to, to really think through. It's like a thought experiment. But um, can we use technology to solve our problems? You know, can we use uh, not necessarily something this extreme, but what, what would become of it? But, of course, in the novel, because the thriller, all heck breaks loose, and things, things go off the deep end in ways the protagonist never, never expected. Well, when you talked about, uh, you know, nobody using uh, nuclear weapons, per se, to uh, move mountains and, and change weather mm -hmm. patterns, um, wasn't it, was it Kevin Costner that suggested in the wake of the, the big, that massive Gulf oil spill that, mm -hmm. that a nuclear bomb be used to clean up the Gulf or stop the, the leakage? Well, it's it's true that it, it could have worked. Um, of course, there's a lot of other implications that a lot of people would not have wanted to uh, to address. Um, but you know, the Russians had it. This was this was actually a program under um, Eisenhower back in the day. Uh, it was called Atoms for Peace, and um, 
the Russians had a very similar program, and they did use nuclear weapons to, for example, to create artificial lakes in Kazakhstan. So um, it, is, it is a possibility. Uh, again, there's always the, the worry about, you know, what, what about the, you know, the environment and the fallout. Um, in the novel, they, they do go back and forth about that. They end up getting rid of a mountain range, but they, they implode it from the, from underground. So, um, and, and you know, the comprehensive test ban treaty is, is something that would, uh, where countries agree not to drop nuclear weapons, but the United States ratified it. They, they I mean, they, they, I think they never actually, they, it's not that they're bound by it legally. So the legal implications are such that um, the United States could have actually done that. In the novel, you know, it's, it's set slightly in the future, and things get so devastating that that's what they decide to do. But as I said, it's meant to be a satire to sort of point out other truths about, um, you know, how the government overreaches, how uh, they take this idea of, oh, let's use this technology, and then they go, they go nuts and they convince everybody <laughs> that this is this is how to do it. And I know we can all think of things that where that's really happened in real life. You know, it's um, in in thinking about nuclear energy, and you talk about the environment. Nuclear energy actually makes a smaller carbon footprint than most other energies and technologies that that we use um but then there's 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 that pesky waste product mm -hmm. have we been doing nuclear energy wrong are there ways to do it that don't leave behind harmful toxic waste well, um, it's true that the spent fuel management is a is a big issue. Um, in my my previous job, I'm I'm currently a consultant as a nuclear engineer, but I formerly did work for a, a federal agency. And um, you know, there are I I believe that we should be able to solve this problem. We're not the only country that uh, operates you know nuclear uh, facilities. Other countries, such as, you know, I visited Sweden and um, Finland, and they have long-term repositories for their spent fuel. Um, they were, the Swedes and the Finns were able to do it, and I believe the French also, Russians, um, so many countries have, uh, have been able to do this. But in the United States, it's, of course, a political issue. So billions of dollars were spent on the Yucca Mountain Repository in Nevada, the people of Nevada wanted it. The, the people of the local um, area where it was going to be built, um, but um, nobody, you know, the, the Harry Reid at the time was not uh, for it, and they were able to uh, to quash the project. So, even though um, you know the the government didn't get a chance to really review the the license for the, the project to, to prove if it was safe or not safe. So um, I'd like to think that it, it could be done safely. Um, 
But I, that but that sounds like yeah. being done safely the way it's being done now. Are there alternative fuels and and processes that that could accomplish the kind of nuclear power that we get now and and maybe plus more um, yeah. that are safer that we just passed over because this was the one we picked when we were learning how? Uh, well, we have, you know, in the United States, we have the once fuel, the once through fuel cycle. In other, some other countries like France, they recycle 17% of the fuel. And I know um, there are other countries like in India where they actually want to eventually transition to use thorium instead of uranium for their fuel, which has a far less uh, implications for, um, you know, for, for these types of problems and proliferation problems too. So I, I am fully on board with new technologies too, uh, like the small modular reactors that are being um, reviewed now by the government, which would be um, smaller and also have less of a, a waste and spent fuel uh, imprint. So um, there, there are possibilities, but remember, you know, we haven't really built new reactors. There's just a few coming online now after many, many years due to, you know, due problems like Chernobyl and, you know, just the public wasn't going to accept them. Well, so, <laughs> Three Mile Island, Chernobyl, um, Fukushima, you know, right. there, there have been a few examples of, exactly. of what can go wrong. Right. And, and of course, after Three Mile Island, many, many uh, steps were taken to all over the world to improve safety, you know, to make sure that that would never happen again. And that, that particular incident, it has not been repeated. Um, Chernobyl was a completely different situation because the design of the plant was inherently flawed. And we don't have those plants are illegal in the United States, so we don't have them here. Um, and Fukushima, uh, oh, many many people in the industry believe that they could have they could have predicted through probabilistic risk assessment that there would have been a major flood. You know, their um, diesel engines were in a position where, of course, they were going to be flooded if there was a massive tsunami um, that again likely could have been predicted. With you know, we we risk what we call risk inform our uh, our, we risk inform our um, regulations in the United States. Some would say the industry is overregulated, but you know we we have been operating safely for a long time. Um, but you know, an accident in another country is really an accident everywhere. So everybody starts to think, well, we don't want this. But again, it it it's one of the ways that we can we can help our environment. You know, with with climate. Yeah, I have to interrupt here. I have a break coming up. Um, okay. But I want to, this is such a, a, a fun conversation, and, and we've got to talk some more about the book. But I have yeah. to take this break here. Can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk some more? Absolutely. Awesome. Sure thing. E.A. Smiroldo is uh, the author of a new book called The Silent Count. We're going to talk with her about nuclear engineering and her debut novel, When We Return. 
N O I dare everybody, it's me, Tigger. T I double G R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County. Where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods. And in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Babies come with lots of decisions. Cloth or disposable? Crib or bassinet? 
So when it comes to protection, go with the safest, most effective choice, vaccination. Get all the recommended vaccines for your baby by age two to protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases. For more reasons to vaccinate, talk to your child's doctor. Go to cdc.gov vaccines or call 800-CDC-INFO. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation about uh, nuclear engineering and uh, music (laughs) and a new novel called The Silent Count by my guest, E.A. Smiroldo, who joins me by phone. E.A., welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. Oh, I loved it. I love the Tigger. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually Tigger, by the way. Awesome. Wow. <laughs> I, I, I'm just, I, I'm impressed. Yeah, Jim was on the show, and, and you know, it, and it's funny, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that, because I don't get a chance to talk about how great he is. Um, he does the voice of uh, Darkwing Duck and Winnie the Pooh and, you, you know, just all kinds of voices. And um, he was on the show, and and we were talking about that. And I asked him if he'd do a few, and he just knocked that out off the top of his head. Wow, <laughs> that that is, I, I am as I said, I'm anyway, very it was, impressed. It was love it. It was fun. Anyway, um, back to uh, being a nuclear engineer with a creative streak. You were talking about this is your debut novel, The Silent Count. Before we went on the air, you mentioned that this novel has a soundtrack. <laughs> yes. Yes. Which I think the is kind of cool. And and I've come across that once or twice where somebody who was uh, uh, an author but also a musician had had factored some music into the story and on their website or somewhere they had um, music that you could listen to that was referenced in the story, which I, I think is really cool. Yes. So um, one of the characters in the story is... Uh, is um, a a punk rock pioneer in in uh, good old DC, where uh, I was born and raised, and uh, there is a very vibrant music scene in DC, which I was part of for a long time, and uh, I have a lot of song lyrics, and I lace them through the story. It's almost like um. In a way, you know these jukebox musicals you hear about, like Mamma Mia, or where they take the song from an artist and they sort of create a musical around them? Oh, yeah. I, I, yeah, I kind of envisioned um, something like that for the story, although the story took on a life of its own. So uh, so there's there's these song lyrics planted in that sort of model what's going on in the, in the story, and there's songs I've written myself and performed. So um, I was in a you know, in a band with, it was a trio, I played lead guitar, and I sang, and wrote all the music, and it was just a lot of fun, so um, I was on a small label in D.C. called Deep Reverb, we were distributed by uh, Discord, which is a, a probably something some people have heard of, uh, but anyway, it's, it was a lot of fun, but if they want to find uh, some of the songs that go along with the soundtrack, I have a YouTube channel. So I've, I've put one on called uh, Colors All Change. 
And as I said, it's, I mean, when you hear punk rock, it's more like a pop punk sound, sort of like it's got more of a groove, a little bit like Green Day, but with a groove. Well, you know, it's, I'm reading something, uh, someone had sent me something about you and your book in, in the first, um, oh, I, I know what it was, it's from your website, um, mm-hmm. and, and it says right off the, um, right off the bat, E.A. Smaroldo is a nuclear engineer with a creative streak, mm-hmm. and I got thinking about that when I read about, you know, your award-nominated songwriting and um, prizes and and considerations you've gotten for screenplays. This is, of course, your debut novel. But it it made me wonder, and and I guess I'll just turn the question to you, is creative creative, whether it's uh, engineering, songwriting, uh, screenwriting, um, etc.? think so and i hope so uh i i love the idea that so many young people are you know they're they're emphasizing that they everybody take up science and i i would hope that everybody would would want to um you know to to have a curiosity about it and then those that want to go into it i would i would hope that they could bring creativity to it and we see all around us you know, we we use technology for in all of our lives, and how um, someone had to dream all that up. You know, dreamers are are I think dreamers are just as important as, as scientists, um, and and maybe we can be both. You know, so I I've always kind of uh, been in that uh, in both worlds, or maybe several worlds. Uh, but I like I like the fact that, um, you know, especially as Americans, you know, we we can I like to think we can do whatever we want. You know, you can go to college and take lots of different uh, courses. You don't just have to to focus on one thing. It's uh, so that that was a a really great time for me in school because I that's where I took creative writing classes and and got this idea that maybe maybe I can uh, give my you know, put some of my energies into that too. Which came first for you, um, your interests in um, science, music, or literature? Mm. Well, you know, I, I come from a family of storytellers. I think, ah. uh, you know, my parents are from Sicily, and we just grew up hearing <laughs> all about their their abject poverty. But it was, you know, my mom grew up in an orphanage. But, you know, it's, it was like, um, you know, Jane Eyre was in an orphanage. And I, I just, you know, I just would think in terms of, wow, you know, it's, it's like the stories kind of make who we are in a way. Uh, it was just so wonderful to, you know, be spellbound listening to it. My sister would tell me stories, just put me in bed at night, and we'd make up stories about our dolls. So I, I think the storytelling was always there. And then... You know, I would sit there and I would I would you know make um, make my own little guitar out of rubber bands. And I think my parents <laughs> decided. I think she wants to play the guitar, so eventually I got a guitar. <laughs> you know that kind of thing. I would make up songs. My cousin and I would sing, and so it was always there. But you know, then I would read read everything I could on science, and I was really interested. 
interested in, you know, I'd go outside and look at those stars and try to figure out the constellations. You know, so all that was, was happening in the background. But anything that captures the imagination, I think, is, is all in the same spectrum. You know, science is one of those things that, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of old, so I, I go back to a time when, when science wasn't really open and or attractive to women and young girls. Um, but in recent years, it's becoming much more um, open in, in that regard. How was it for you? entering into science? Well, I guess, you know, I went to an all-girl high school, so we didn't didn't really know any boys. Thank God that changed later. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But we didn't know any boys, and so we, we just didn't have any expectations for ourselves. If we, like science, you know, I remember being in, and my parents... God bless them. You know, my, my parents, they weren't, weren't able to be educated in where they came from. You know, war torn Sicily, my mom being in the orphanage, my dad, you know, third grade education, fifth grade education for my poor mom, um, for third grade for my dad. So um, they just wanted us to learn. That's, that was the thing. Get good grades, study, learn. And, you know, I, I, for example, I wanted to... Um, irradiate my bean seeds and see you know if that would actually at low levels help them grow because i read in a magazine i read a omni magazine and somebody had an article about this my dad drove me i found some professor at university of maryland where i eventually went and where they they have a small reactor my dad took me to university of maryland to get my bean seeds radiated so so yeah and and um yeah, there were there weren't many young women, but you know, people were always trying to get in my I guess in my generation, they were trying to get us to to look at science as a possible career. Um, as I said, it it's um you know, it, then in a nuclear engineering program, you know, you have at the time you have a large number of uh, navy officers who came up in the in the nuclear program that had come back to get their nuclear engineering degrees, which, um, you know, at the time, there there weren't any women that did that. I think now that's changed a little. They have a program for women. So um, I think nuclear was inherently had even more men than, than women. But, um, you know, as, as time has gone on, I've, I've noticed some, some fields have more, some have less. In, in the federal government, you have a lot more women that do it. Um, I, I haven't I haven't found any any barriers. I I think everyone's experience is different, but um, you know, it, it, people need to follow their nose, like follow your interests. And if that's what you want to do, and if you're good at it, or if you have a lot of curiosity and are open, I I think there's room for everybody. You know, I've mentioned several times that uh, your book, The Silent Count, is is your debut novel, but it is by mm-hmm. far not the first thing you've written. Um, was it was it tough converting to writing a novel, and did you have to really outline and and uh, 
figure out a, a way to write in this this new form? Uh, well, it did take me a long time to figure it out. But um, yes, I, I wrote, so I wrote a screenplay and a screenplay has only 100 pages <laughs> and they're, right. they're double spaced, you know, so it, a screenplay is actually, it's much more visual. So it's a, it is a different way of, of about the process. Um, I think what happened was I, I had this job that it really was the best job. I, I'm so blessed that I had this job. I traveled all over the world. I was on a plane like once or twice a month going to some far-flung country and uh, visiting some some crazy old power plant, <laughs> taking, <laughs> uh, trying to train people in different areas. And, and it, it was wonderful. But um, you sit on a plane and you get to see all the movies. And let's face it, some of those movies, I think it was, um, no offense, but Vin Diesel's The Pacifier. <laughs> I think I saw that movie and I thought, you know, I thought I could write a movie. <laughs> I oh, thought that's I could write funny. a script. <laughs> yeah. So um, that said, I did sit through the whole Vin Diesel's The Pacifier just because I was so curious about, really? <laughs> just really? Am I really seeing this? So I thought I'd write a film of my own. So I did, and um, that's that's the one where where uh, a superior officer or or some <laughs> political honcho ends up having him assigned to look after his child or children. Yes, I, I've yeah. seen the movie. I I just exactly. wasn't sure it was exactly the right one, and and I think that's <laughs> I think that's hilarious. <laughs> Yeah, it really happened, and then I did write a script, and the treatment ended up, well, I won this, and it was called the Screenwriter's Dig, so I entered, I thought, well, let's just see if this is any good, and I entered it in, and it ended up winning a prize, and they offered me this option on the treatment. Now, that went nowhere, but, you know, it, it did capture my imagination, so I thought, why not try a novel? Now, this was this was some time ago, and I, I, I still had that idea brewing in my head, about nuclear weapons and the whole idea of maybe using it for a climate change purpose because climate change was starting to, to become something people were thinking about. But at the time, you know, this was like maybe a decade ago, I thought, uh, well, you know, by the time I'm finished writing this, because it was taking a long time, climate change is no longer going to be an issue. People are going to figure out how to solve it. You know, like, we're not going to have this, controversy anymore and i figured well it'll be like an alternative universe novel well here we are in 2022 well what's interesting about it. that is because of of climate change you know there used to be these um uh post-world war apocalyptic dystopian mm -hmm. environments that that people would write books and movies set in and now it seems like it's shifting to climate change being the cause and how we got there. Interesting. You know, it's, yeah. it's like we're seeing how the world still becomes dystopian, but we're getting there by a different method. The, the, the question that I have for you, though, as, as a, an author, storyteller, but, but even more as a, a nuclear engineer, is are the things that are being done, 
and and the advances being made in working away from uh, the things that cause uh, or contribute mm-hmm. at least to to climate change is it putting off the doomsday ah uh, well um the novel is not really a dystopian look at climate change although as I wrote it, it seemed like things were getting worse than what we have in the novel. <laughs> the future so is looming. Change, yeah, I actually had to make some changes to the story to point out, you know, to kind of model what was happening in real life. Like, you know, the building in Florida that that uh, fell to the ground due to the seawater encroachment, um, killing so many people. That was such a tragedy. Um, so anyway, yeah, it, I... Um, I see what you mean. I think uh, there's um, there's so many things that people are doing that that I know their heart is in the right place, you know. And I, I think we need to do that, like like renewable energy. Of course, we need to, but what, you know, uh, consider renewables and and all that. And and there's a big push for that. But there's a lot of unintended consequences, like you know, battery storage, you know, you need minerals for that. The minerals are not in this country, mostly. There's a security risk when you start to rely on other countries to supply those. So we have to have a diverse, you know, we have to have diverse energy sources. We can't just say, Yeah, I'm just, just curious that, that, you know, 20 or 30 years ago when I first started hearing people, um, you know, especially <laughs> the doomsday uh, scenarios mm. the timeline was you know coming up like you know by 2020 or 2030 you know we're, oh. we're going to be you know in rough shape and now it's been pushed off to 2040 2050 um, and mm-hmm. and what I'm wondering is actually as we look to uh, things and and people are doing little things here and there um, but are those are those differences and and uh, is your you know when you thought well climate change will be solved by then you know is are are the little changes that are being made extending the amount of time we have to solve the problem? Mm, I I I, real, I I agree with you that that. I think some of the doomsday scenarios were premature. I'm not somebody who who thinks uh, we're all going to die, you know, we're all going to die tomorrow. I don't believe that at all. But I think we, you know, sure, smaller changes can do something. I I was asking a friend of mine who was a geologist, um, Mm -hmm. actually more of an astronomer, but, but he studied geology and 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 I was asking him about the end of the world, and he said, "Oh, the planet's going to be fine. We're all going to be dead, but the planet will yeah. be fine." <laughs> it's humanity that's the yeah. Humanity's got the problems. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, people they they have the best intentions. They recycle their plastic, but let's face it, you know, it's not really cost effective to recycle plastic. It's not really cost-effective to make some new product out of it. So corporations, they'll say, oh, well, we use recycled plastic for 
10% of, you know what I mean? So they, they kind of do a lot of greenwashing to get people to buy more stuff. But then you've got the opposite end of the spectrum where there are some people that think, well, let's just have a sharing economy where you don't go to a store to buy something, you have a subscription and you just use something for a while and then return it. And But, you know, we've got to come up with something that, that allows for economic development too. I know there's there's a lot of people in the climate movement that don't um, don't agree with that. Most of them aren't, you know. I mean, there's there's a certain kind of a level of freedom, and you know, as Americans, we we want a certain way of life. I like to think that technology can be our answer. I really would. You've got to, but you've got to do it with some kind of a you know intentionality. You want everyone to have an electric car. Well, you don't have a grid that supports all these electric cars. You know, <laughs> right. you, you don't solar energy. The sun's not going to shine every day, and and the battery storage is too expensive, and the minerals may cause some country to um to interfere with your energy security. So you need baseline. That's why you know nuclear power. I think is a, is a really important part of this because it it operates twenty four hours a day. <laughs> Well, my guest is E.A. Smeroldo, and uh, the book is The Silent Count, um, which is uh, basically about a daring plan to combat climate change with unintended consequences, and uh, it, it, which is kind of what we've been talking about. Um, what's next for you, E.A., now that this book is, is out and about? Um, is there another book on the horizon? There will be a sequel. <laughs> I'm very excited. Uh, yes, my my main character, Dara Bolden, will be back to continue to save the world and try to figure out how to how to solve our problems and well, maybe and maybe fall in love and maybe find uh, the right guy. <laughs> That's part <laughs> of it too. Well, yeah, especially if you want it to become a movie. Yes. <laughs> oh, if any anyone out there, please come find me. And 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 also the more more songs from the soundtrack will be put on my YouTube channel at um, it's E A Smeraldo. So please well, come and listen. That's that's exactly what I was going to ask. Is um, I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about about you and your work, past, present, and future. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have a website you'd like to share? Sure, easmeraldo.com, S-M-I-R-O-L-D-O. So easmeraldo.com is where you can find more about me. And uh, the book is available, Silent Counts, on um, Amazon. At, uh, and, and my publisher, Solstice Publishing, uh, solsticeempire.com is something that you might want to check out too. There's uh, not just me, but lots of other great, great writers. Are you still working in energy or, or uh, I'm mm-hmm. sorry, engineering, or are you able to write full-time? Oh, I, I do continue. I would never give up my uh, nuclear engineering work. But, yes, I'm, a, I'm an independent consultant, and I love every minute of it. It's like a fun, it's like a fun game. Well, EA, thanks so much. It's been, I, I feel like we just scratched the surface, like we could talk for hours, but uh, we're, we're pretty much out of time. But thank you so much for spending this time with me and the listeners this morning. Thank you so much for having me. So nice to meet you. Keep up the good work. Thanks. You All too. Right. Bye-bye.
And uh, again, that was E.A. Smeraldo. The book is called The Silent Count. It is her debut novel, but not her first time writing. And uh, she is a nuclear engineer uh, and also uh, an award-nominated singer-songwriter. She's won prizes for screenwriting and and other things as well. Anyway, if you're listening to us on uh, 92.1 FM, we're going to let them squeeze a few words in. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. Hi, this is Joe Bye from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? Mm. It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, file a complaint with my office online at mi.gov robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it, you're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nussel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 15th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMagno. Flint Community School. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Wisecarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Long Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee. 
Legacy Health Plan. Quiplet Technology. My Community College. Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to tom at tomsumnerprogram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. There are many shows on the air which are basically interview shows, and they start out in a very austere setting. Uh, There's the interviewer, he sits behind a desk, and in the background somewhere, some figure in the news sits. He's later in the show blinded by a spotlight. <laughs> I'd like to present one of these shows. They start off very dramatically, something like this. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Wallace, Nightline. Our guest in the studio tonight is Dr. Warner von Warner, one of the many German missile scientists involved in our American missile program. Dr. Von Warner, I suppose the question most often asked you, you were involved in the German missile program, you're now involved in our missile program. Was the fact that you were involved in the German missile program a matter of political conviction, or was this political expediency on your part? (laughs) Oh boy, Dad Warner. Actually, I didn't, I didn't have that much to do with it, to tell you the truth. Um, <laughs> this is back around 1940. I was working at a beer garden in Stuttgart. <laughs> and like on Friday night, you know, the waitresses and the waiters, we'd go to one of the girls' pads, you know, and uh, <laughs> order some pizzas and some schnapps and get half-gassed, you know. <laughs> and I used to fool around with these inventions, you know, and I'd take this tin can and put a firecracker underneath it, and I like the firecracker, and the thing go four or five feet up in the air, you know. And everybody say, what the hell was that? Or what a nut that Warner is. Somebody want to get Warner's hat. You know, something like that. Except there's one party. A little guy walks over. He's got a little mustache. And a... <laughs> Piece of hair falling on his eyes. He says, hey, that, uh, that was interesting what you did with a, with a tin can there. <laughs> But, uh, but, uh, what causes that? Eh? I said, well, see, that's, um, for every action, there's a reaction, you see? And the, the force of the firecracker is it's, see, it's, first of all, it starts toward the floor. But the top of your can, see, it's, every time I do it, it jumps forward. He says, what, uh, what do you call that thing there? I said, that's, uh, that's a Arcot. It's named after my landlord, Irving Arcot. <laughs> See, 
Alex's eyes about three months behind an inch, you know, and comes a knock at the door, and he says, look, Varner, you know, you got to knock off with the firecrackers in the middle of the night, you know, because the neighbors are complaining, and don't hand me the Madame Curie bit, you know what I mean? <laughs> what her landlord wanted to do about her rent, that's his business, I want my rent, see? I said, look, I'm working on an invention. If it works out, I'll name it after you. He says, you're going to call it an Irving? <laughs> No, I'm going to call it a rocket. So anyway, the guy at the party, little mustache, piece of hair falling in his eyes. He says, that would make a terrific weapon, you know that? <laughs> I said, well, you'd have to get out on top of the guy. <laughs> you know. And, you know, you'd have to hit him in the face or something like that. With, with a tin can to really hurt him. I think your big problem is going to be getting that close to the guy, you know? <laughs> he says, no, no, what if, what if we took a hundred firecrackers and a great big tin can, see? I said, well, we saw of that, but your problem there is, see, by the time you light the fuse on the last firecracker... <laughs> He said, look, the, the, reason, the reason I'm asking you all this, I'm headed to German people. I said, oh. <laughs> I said, so, you know, congratulations. I, you know. <laughs> I hadn't seen a paper in a couple of days, so I took a verse. <laughs> he says, would you like to be involved in our missile program? I said, well, you know, I got a pretty good thing going at the, at the beer garden. He says, look. He says, it's a civil service job. Three fifty a month. When you're 55, you go down to Baden Baden and forget the whole scene. So anyway, all they want me to do, I sign these requisitions. Liquid oxygen, I don't know what it is. I'm signing Warner von Warner. And every month, three fifty, there it is, like clockwork. Anyway, make a long story short, we lose the war. <laughs> and the Americans come to me, you know, and I've been getting offers from the Russians and all that, and they say, look, Warner, you know, we've seen your name on some of the requisitions, and uh, how'd you like to be involved in the American missile program, you know? I said, look, actually, I didn't have that much to do with it, you see. I mean, I was at this party in Stuttgart, see? <laughs> They said, ne never mind, never mind, we need a name. No, we so anyway, I, I, I took the job, and uh, there it is, four fifty a month. When I'm 55, I go down to Fort Lauderdale, and <laughs> it's a pretty good deal. Well, uh, Dr. Von Warner, our time is running out on us. Uh, we have now put a man in space. The Russians, some two or three weeks before that, had put a man in space. Was this the eventual plan of the German missile program to put a man in space? Oh, we, we put a man in space. Oh, sure, back in uh, 1940. I put my brother-in-law, Herman, I put him on. <laughs> well, now, that's amazing because, of course, the, the big problem we found uh, putting a man in space was the problem of reentry. And uh, apparently in 1940, you had already solved that problem. Well, what problem is this you're talking about? <laughs> Well, Dr. Von Warner, we want to thank you very much for stopping by. 
and wish you continued success. Well, thank you very much. Now, are you going to give me the money or will you send a check to me? This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
from the Tom Sumner Show. Oh, yeah. You pilots, get off of my lawn. We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here.